And now, here on Radio 2, episode one of the third serial in the trilogy... Journey into Space. The BBC presents Jet Morgan in The World in Peril. April 15th, 1972, Earth time. The Mars fleet, or what is left of it, is returning to the moon nearly a year before its scheduled time. The expedition started out with nine ships and 20 men, but only three ships and six men have survived to make the return journey. Four men are dead, their bodies destined to drift around the solar system forever, or until drawn to some planet by gravitational attraction, they go hurtling down towards its surface, to be vaporized in the planet's atmosphere, like a meteor when it's captured by the Earth. The remaining freighters, empty of human life, are forever encircling the planet in free orbit, while their crews are held prisoner down on Mars. Yes, Mars is inhabited, and although it's a dying planet, its population has been increasing steadily for hundreds of years. How this was achieved is almost unbelievable, as you'll hear. But meanwhile, Jet Morgan and the remnants of his Mars fleet, after traveling six months through space back to the Earth-Moon system, are about to land on the lunar rocket ship base. And with them, they bring disastrous news. Hello, space fleet. Your call received. Course X723, track E. Platform cleared and ready for touchdown. Thank you, Control. Landing imminent. Doc, gyro. Contact. Motor, Mitch? Okay. Then stand by for firing. Height, 10,000. Position, Lemmy? Bang on. 9,000. Oh, well, at least we got back safely. I wish I could say the same for the ships we left behind. 8,000. You think they're going to believe a word of our story, of what happened to us back there on the red planet? Lemmy, keep your mind on your job. Yes, Jet. 7,000. Stand by, Doc. Okay. Lemmy? All right at my end. Freight has turned over and information. 6,000. 5,000. Contact. 4,000, 30, 20, 10. Hold on to your hats. Here it comes. Zero. We made it. We're down. Cut the motor. Home at last. Home, he calls it. This is the moon, Mitch. Home is still a quarter of a million miles away. Well, at least we're close enough to the Earth to recognize her. That makes me feel I'm home. More than I do. Kill the gyro, Doc. Gyro cut. How about the freighters, Lemmy? Down on the deck. Motors cut and they're standing upright. I reckon they made it. Very well, gentlemen. Undo your safety straps. 
As soon as you're down from your bunk, Lenny, call up control and ask them when we can expect some transport. No need for that. There's a land truck already left Lunar City and heading out this way. Oh. Well, in that case, we'll complete the logbooks and tidy up. Call up the freighters and tell the crews to make no attempt to leave the ships until told. Yes, yes. Hello, Discovery. Controller calling. Hello, sir. Morgan here. We're ready to leave the ship. May we come down? Not yet. I want to come up there first. Get ready to let me in, will you? Very well, sir. We'll exhaust the airlock and open the main door. Let us know when you're inside. Of course. I'll call you again in a few minutes. Attend to that, Mitch, will you? Right, Jeff. The controller, eh? I thought there was something fishy in that land truck panicking out to meet us the minute we touched down. It is rather odd, I must say. And why can't we leave the ship? Isn't six months cooped up in here long enough for them? They have to keep us in here longer yet. There must be some good reason for it. The controller wouldn't come out here otherwise. And alone, too. If he wants to give us a speech of welcome, he could have used the radio. Oh, it must be something more serious than that, Lenny. Entry elevators on the way up. He'll be here any minute. And don't forget, he is the chief officer of the colony. Now, uh, everything shipshape? Yes, Jeff. Then let's get over to the lock and be ready to let him in. Hello, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, Captain. Suit is now deflated. You can open the door. Hatch. Contact. Uh, let me give you a hand, sir. Thank you, Captain. Thank you. There you are. Can you unfasten this confounded helmet for me? Allow me, sir. Uh, thank you, Barnett. There we are. Ah, that's better. Well, gentlemen, welcome home. To the moon, at any rate. Thank you, oh, sir. Thank, thank you, sir. sir. This is a sorry business. How many ships were lost? Uh, six, sir, and... Fourteen men. Fourteen. I take full responsibility. Hey, wait a minute, Jet. Nobody's to blame. We should have turned back. Oh, every member of every ship agreed to go on. You gave them a choice, remember? I had no right to give them a choice. Only orders. Oh. And I should have ordered them to turn back. Why, Jet? How were you to know the trouble we were going to run into when we got to Mars? We had enough indications of it on the way, didn't we? What with the destruction of Number 7 and the loss of its crew, uh, Whittaker, Peterson's suicide... Captain Morgan. Sir? Nobody's blaming anybody for anything. At least, not until after the inquiry. Inquiry? Nothing to be scared of. I'm glad to hear it. But your account of how those men and ships were lost... Well, sir? It's fantastic, almost unbelievable. You really think so? In fact, some of the people who have read your reports refuse to believe half of what's in them. Oh, truth, you don't think we threw them up for fun, do you? I don't know. But unfortunately, some do. They're even suggesting they were drawn up to cover your own negligence. Let them try and tell me that. Oh, wait a minute, Lemmy. Sir... You indicated that you didn't doubt them yourself. Is that so? Gentlemen, for two years, I helped prepare you for this trip to Mars. I came to know you very well. In my opinion, there was nobody better qualified to handle the discovery and lead this project than you. I can see no reason for changing my opinion. Thank you, sir. Just the same, you're in for a tough time, I'm afraid. How do you mean? You will be called upon to verify every statement in your report about Whitaker, Peterson, the people you were supposed to have encountered on Mars... Everything. That we're quite prepared to do, just as soon as we get back to Earth. No, Jet. Not to Earth. Not yet, anyway. Huh? You will be remaining in Lunar City for some weeks. Earth weeks or moon weeks? Earth weeks, Barnett. Well, that's something. Perhaps I should make it clear that I didn't ask for this committee to come up here. I, too, have to obey orders, you know. I was merely told it was coming and told what to do about you when you landed. And what about us? You are to have no contact with anyone in the colony other than myself and members of the committee. You will make no effort to communicate with anybody down on Earth without my approval. You will be confined to your quarters, which under the circumstances will be as extensive as possible. Apart from that, 
You'll be given as much freedom as such restrictions allow. As free as a bird. Uh, one moment, sir. Yes. Whitaker. What about him? He was the first indication that there was anything strange happening. And it was information from control that drew our attention to it. Surely his case, born in 1893, missing from home since 1924, and then turning up in our fleet 47 years later, not looking a day older than 30. Well, surely that should be proof enough that something very weird was going on, that our reports could not have been fabricated. Whittaker undoubtedly is your strongest point. The mystery surrounding him has never been cleared up. Not down on earth, anyway. Well, our reports clear it up, don't they? They appear to, certainly. But it isn't Whittaker that the investigators are worried about. It's the invasion. Naturally. For the first time in man's history, not a shot has been fired in war anywhere on earth for a whole decade. Fighting forces of all countries have been reduced to the minimum. The world has at last begun to settle down to a long era of peace. And then you come along with a nice little tale of how another planet is about to invade us. It's true. The date was fixed for the close opposition of 1986, but if they were ready, they could even attempt it in 73. Uh, Mars would still be close enough. Precisely. And how will they attack us? What weapons will they use? How can Earth defend herself? And how do you suppose people would react to the news that their world was about to be taken over by an alien race? Beings no one has ever seen. Yes, there'd be a worldwide panic. Exactly. But if what you say is true, they must be told and prepared for the worst. And it is on your evidence alone, scanty though it may be, that the committee must decide what to do. What if they concede our story is true? Then their findings will be published and the necessary preparations for world defense put into effect. And uh, if they decide otherwise? Then your reports will be suppressed and the Mars Project written off as a failure. Maybe in 15 years from now, another attempt to reach the planet will be made. I see. Very well, sir. We're at your disposal. What are your orders? Put on your suits. Then we'll go to ground level, and I will personally escort you to your quarters in Luna City. Just give us time to collect the logs together. No. Leave them where they are. Nothing is to be removed from the ship. Oh. We were kept virtual prisoners in Luna City for six weeks. Mind you, we held no grudge against the controller, the investigating committee, or anyone else for that. The things that had happened to us, both during the journey to Mars and after we had landed on the planet, the strange things we discovered, the people we met, were so fantastic that none of us was really surprised that our account, or a great deal of it at any rate, was doubted. The investigation committee worked hard. They saw at least one of us each day and plied us with questions by the hour. Sometimes the four of us were interrogated together. You say, Mr. Mitchell, in all seriousness, that in the middle of the Martian Argia Desert, you came across a farmhouse in which dwelt people who spoke English and believed they were living in Australia. Yes, I do. What were they supposed to be doing there? Raising sheep. They ran a station. They weren't sheep, really. They were peculiar animals, rather like anteaters. They looked like sheep to me. Mitchell says sheep. You, Captain Morgan, say anti Mitch was conditioned. He was supposed to think they were sheep. How did he become conditioned, as you call it? It happened when he wandered away from the land trucks and out of our sight. And what are the symptoms of this conditioning? Well, sir, a belief that one is in some place other than where he really is. Down on Earth, usually. At home, or in a place where he was happy. Mm. Mitch here thought he was back in Australia. 
The place looked, to him, like Australia. He met Australians. To him, Martian animals looked like the animals he'd expect to find in Australia. And how did they look to these uh, sheep raisers? Well, like sheep, the same as they did to me. They even had a dog. Except it wasn't a dog. It looked like a beetle. To me, it looked like a dog. No. It barked anyway. No, Mitch. It whistled like a bird. Anything else? Yes. Conditioned people are able to breathe the Martian atmosphere, and their body temperature is abnormally low. It would have to be if the oxygen content of the Martian atmosphere is as little as you say. How many of these experiences, Mr. Mitchell, do you remember? Enough to swear on oath that they actually happened. Oh, not many. They... Seemed more like vivid dreams now. In fact, when Mitch finally came back to normal, he knew nothing of what had happened to him. Uh, not at first, that is. But when he's reminded of certain things, like, for example, the flying doctor in the Pyramid City, it seems to arouse his memory, and he can now recall incidents as well as we can. How is this conditioning brought about? Well, it, it, it starts with a noise. What kind of a noise? In your head, like you've got bees in there. And then you hear a voice telling you not to worry and everything's going to be all right. Next thing you know, you're back home in London. A kid again, with all your old friends round you. At least, that's how it was with me. You were completely conditioned? No. Jet and Doc found me just in time. All that happened was, I felt all cold inside, was violent when I woke up, and caught Jet a clump round the ear. And you, Dr. Matthews, were never affected by a noise or anything else? No. Oh, I believe that some people are immune to Martian conditioning. I happen to be one of them. Are you in your professional capacity able to hypnotize people? Yes, sir. These days, it's a normal part of a doctor's training. I see. Now, you're not suggesting that Doc uses... We will ask the questions, Captain, if you don't mind. Yes, sir. And so it went on, day after day. Every question, every answer was recorded and the tape flown back to Earth under seal. Our logbooks, which carried a complete record of our journey to Mars and back, were played over to us and the questions asked on over half the entries. We told the committee all we could remember of the great underground factory in the Lacus Solis where hundreds of men worked building spherical spaceships under the impression that they were still down on Earth building aircraft for the use in the Second World War. Of the Earthmen who seemed to realize exactly who they were and where they were, and who begged us to take them along when we made our final dash to get away from the planet and back to the moon. At last, after six weeks of grueling questioning on the part of the investigation committee, our ordeal came to an end. We were told nothing of the committee's findings, and a week later, they took a ship back to Earth. We were still confined to our quarters, as were the crews of the freighters who were kept in another part of the colony and with whom we had no contact whatsoever. We learned later that they, too, had been subjected to a searching examination. Then, one morning, Lemmy came bursting into our restroom with some exciting news. Jet! Doc! Hello, Lemmy. I thought you were up Listen, in the observation tower. I was, but what I saw up there sent me running back here. What's the trouble? The discovery. They're working on her. What? Yes, Jet. There's a whole army of engineers out at the launching ground. Getting her ready for takeoff, you mean? I don't know about that. Well, what else could they be doing? An inspection, maybe. Yeah, well, of course she's not going anywhere. And they went over every inch of her for a month after we got back. How about the freighters, Lemmy? Anybody working on those? Not that I could see. And what can be going on? 
We have a right to know. Oh, but everybody else in this colony knows. The way they treat us, you think we'd committed a crime or something. Well, I'm going to town to look for myself. Me too. Coming, Doc? Yeah, sure. Hey, hey wait a minute. Who's this? The controller. Good morning, gentlemen. Hello, sir. Morning, morning, sir. morning, sir. Sit down, please. I want to talk to you. Let me bring over another seat. What's it about this time, Chief? Not another investigation committee on its way. No, nothing so grim as that. A few hours ago, I received the result of the first committee's investigation. It's quite a formidable document. What does it say? Are they going to turn us loose now? Let us go back home? You're going back to Earth, yes. Well, there's a turn up for the book. What did the inquiry, sir? What did they conclude? That you were probably telling the truth. Probably. God, I like that. You must remember, Mr. Mitchell, that no matter how convinced you may be of what occurred during your trip, your individual reports did not always agree. Apparently, all of you, with the exception of Dr. Matthews, were at some time or another under the power and influence of the Martians, allowing that such beings do exist. And all of you are rather vague about events during that time. But the committee has decided that at least something of what we said is true. Yes, in fact, they are quite prepared for the worst. Uh, the invasion? Yes. Well, thank goodness they're awake to it at last. Yeah, and what are they going to do about it? That's something for a body on a far higher level than the committee to decide. But this I do know. Copies of their report will be given to all Commonwealth and major foreign governments, and a worldwide conference will then be held to decide how we can defend ourselves against a Martian invasion should it come. It will come, sir. In 1986, at the next close opposition? So we were led to believe. Well, that gives us 14 years in which to get ready for them. But how do you prepare to meet something you know next to nothing about? We hope to find out a great deal in the not-too-distant future. Oh, how? Huh. Captain Morgan... Would you return to Mars if we asked you? Return? When? At the next opposition. Mars will be further away than during the last one. What ship could reach her? The Discovery, if she were modified. So that's what's going on over at the launching ground. Yes, but the modifications would have to be very extensive. How'd she carry enough fuel with only two freighters left? The backroom boys think it can be done. Extra fuel tanks and a more powerful motor will be installed. She'll be as tall as a skyscraper. What about the extra weight? She'll be a three-stage job. Should reach twice her old velocity. And squash her crew flat in the process. Not quite, Lemmy. But their endurance will be tested to its limit. And what do we do when we reach Mars? You'll be told that when you get down to Earth. Now, will you go? Of course, we all will. Aye? How long before we leave? Three months at the outside. That is the estimated time it will take to get the discovery ready. And when do we go back to Earth? On the next ship. But there's one thing more. Yes? This project is to be treated with the utmost secrecy. You are not to talk about it to anyone. Nobody at all, you understand? Of course. Very well, gentlemen. Transport to the launching ground will call for you in 12 hours from now. When you reach Earth, you will be escorted to your new living quarters. Well, where will they be? I don't know. Will we be landing in Australia or, or Europe? I don't know that either. All I do know is that I'll be coming with you. We're in for a right old time. I can see it coming. Well, that's all for now, gentlemen. And good luck. Thank you, sir. Five days later, Jet, Mitch, Lemmy, and I were back on Earth. We touched down in Australia at the launching ground near the Horseshoe Range in the Northern Territory. And from there, we were immediately transferred to a waiting plane and flown to England. 
There, we landed at an almost deserted airport just outside London. And we were quickly bustled into a waiting car and driven to a hotel in town. It was obvious that our arrival in the metropolis was being kept quiet, which was not a difficult task, really, as the Mars expedition was believed by the general public to be still on the planet and not expected back for another year. The security measures were stringent just the same. We reached our hotel suite via a back entrance and deserted corridors. We were then left for the night, and a police guard placed outside our door, not so much to keep us in as to keep inquisitive people out. The guard also brought our meals and, on one or two occasions, helped us eat them. During the afternoon of the following day, the chief controller of the lunar base called for Jet in a closed car and took him down to the Space Fleet headquarters. How much longer are they going to keep Jet down there? Oh, if he's up back in an hour, I'm turning it. Oh, it's nearly midnight already. Now, do you think he can stop looking out of the window, Lemmy? Eh? I'd like to put the light on. You can go into your own room and put the light on, can't you? What's the attraction out there, anyway? I like to watch the people in the park and hear the hum of the traffic. There are people in the park at this time of night? You'd be surprised. Oh, oh it's good to get a breath of fresh London air again. I bet the air in the East End smells even sweeter. What wouldn't I give to be back there now? Walking through the old streets again. Oh, there's a fat chance of that. They won't even let us take a walk in the park. How long are they going to treat us like this? Like we was a, a litter of prized pups. Too valuable to let out except on a lead. Yeah, valuable's right. Look, Lemmy. What's that? That couple walking down there with a dog. Oh, don't. It makes me think of Becky. <laughs> what, the dog? Ah, do me a favor, Mitch. It's not so bad for you. Your home's in Australia, but mine's here in London. And Becky's not above a couple of miles from here, and she doesn't even know I'm in town. They won't even let me call her up on the phone. What were you going to say about those two down there? I was going to say that if the Martians do invade, neither they nor anyone else will ever have a park to walk through again. So? So he should stop beefing about being shut up and realize that we're kept out of sight and guarded night and day because we are valuable. Because Jet, Doc, you and me are the only four people on this globe who have first-hand knowledge of what might be in store for the Earth. And that's the reason I can't sit here in this window and take a breather? But well, what if somebody recognizes you, realizes we're back? Somebody else would have to answer some mighty awkward questions. But it's dark and we're on the top floor. Oh, Mitch is right, Lemmy. We can't take any risks... I have the slightest inkling of what was afoot. Did get out. Well, that sounds like Jet's back anyway. So draw the curtains, Lemmy, and let's put on the light, huh? Yes, sir. Ah, that's more like it. Well, you're back at last. Hey, what went on down there? Why did they keep us so long? It's all settled, gentlemen. We're going back to Mars. What exactly is the purpose of the trip? They need more information. We have to try and get it. What kind of information? All kinds. About the invasion plans, how it'll be done, the kind of ships they were using, how they're propelled, and... What kind of weapon they're most likely to be vulnerable to? They don't want much, do they? We take in any other ships with us? Uh, two, but no crews. They don't want to risk having another Whittaker aboard. Hmm. Uh, they'll be remote-controlled from the flagship? Uh -huh. Anything else? Well, we're to try to bring back at least one conditioned man or woman. If possible, someone who hasn't been up there very long. That's not going to be easy. Nothing is going to be easy. In fact, it's realized that we're taking a considerable risk. That's an understatement, if ever I heard one. We'd be lucky to get back at all. Well, at least we have some idea of what we're up against this time. That's what worries me. Anyhow, that's all I can tell you at the moment. We'll get our marching orders in due course. Now we'd better get to bed. 
We have to be up early in the morning, all of us. What for? There's a car calling for us at four o'clock. Four o'clock? Where are we going? I don't know, except that it's to an observatory somewhere outside London. What's the idea, Jet? Well, that we'll only know when we get there. Now, go to your rooms and get what sleep you can. The guard will bring you breakfast at half past three. Good night. Good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. Matthews. Glad to make your acquaintance, Professor. And Lemmy Barnett. Pleased to meet you, I'm sure. A pleasure indeed to meet you, gentlemen. I spend my life gazing at the stars. You spend yours flying among them. I have to admit I'm a wee bit envious. The Professor has something interesting to show you. If you'll step this way, please, and uh, if you'll no mind, I'll shut out the lights. We'll see the plates much better then. The plates? The photographic plates. Oh, the photo... Oh. There. Now, if you'll come in a wee bit closer, Captain, you'll be able to see much better. You recognize what's on this photograph, of course. I'm not sure. There are so many stars, it's difficult to pick. Oh, yes, that's the region of Hercules. Precisely. How well do you know this constellation? I know it in outline. Ah, Well, that will do for our purpose. Look in particular at the area below the cluster, just above the star Mark Zeta. Yes... You see that little group of elongated images? Yes, I've never seen those before. Have you all seen them, gentlemen? Yes, sir. Yeah, but they must be moving pretty fast to produce trails that length. Aye, they're certainly moving fast. Look at this plate, taken only two hours later. The same images appear in an entirely different part of the constellation. And you'll notice that one of the trails is well ahead of the others now. So? They're not traveling at the same speed. No, Mr. Barnett. In fact, although these objects seem to keep together most of the time, their speeds vary considerably as a group as well as individually. And their track is no more constant than their speed, as you'll see on this next plate. Here, you see, their position is much lower. In fact, they've very nearly moved out of Hercules entirely down into the region of Ophiuchus, and all in the course of one evening... Uh, That can only mean one of two things. That their speed is far greater than anything ever seen in the heavens before, with the exception of meteors, of course, or that they are very close to the earth. Which must be the right answer. Precisely. There's no doubting it, gentlemen. These objects, whatever they are, are encircling the earth some 6,000 miles above its surface, and they've been doing it for at least two weeks. Blimey. The Martians... They're already here. Is this particular group the only one you've discovered, Professor? Aye. But that doesn't rule out the possibility of there being others. You're quite sure they're not experimental orbital rockets launched from Earth? Quite sure. Sir, how do they look through the telescope? Uh, Roughly circular and nearly a mile in diameter. What? They can't be spaceships, then. If it were not for their extraordinary behavior and their proximity to the Earth... I'd say there were asteroids, great chunks of rock adrift in space. Are they visible now in daylight? No. And they'll be below the horizon now anyway, but other observatories on the night side of Earth will be tracking them. What would be their present position? The last time I saw them, they were in Aquila. That was just before dawn. Do they mean anything to you, Captain? If you mean in relation to our visit to Mars, no, they don't. You saw nothing like it during your trip, anywhere near the planet... 
on it even? No, sir. The Martian ships were spherical, but made of some kind of metal. And they were quite small as spaceships go, a 60 feet in diameter at the most. Now, these things are a mile across. Do you think there could be any connection between these um, asteroids and Mars? Not that I can think of. How about you, Doc? Me neither, Jeff. Mitch? Nah, Jeff. Here, don't look at me. I don't know. Sir, how soon could an orbital rocket, uh, a manned one, I mean, be got ready for takeoff? By tomorrow, I think. Then may I suggest you order one to be got ready? The only way to find out what those things are is to go up there and take a close look at them. And that's just what we intend to do. That was episode one of Journey into Space. Taking part in this recording were Andrew Folds as Jet Morgan, Alfie Bass as Lemmy, Guy Kingsley Pointer as Doc, and Don Sharp as Mitch. Other parts were played by David Jacobs and Alan Tilton. The orchestra was conducted by Van Phillips, who also composed the music. Journey into Space was written and produced for the BBC by Charles Chilton. And episode two of Journey into Space can be heard at the same time next week.